That's right, everybody. Golazzo. And that's that. So for another exciting season of Serie A, what a finale. Lazio against Inter. Dueling for the top four in the last minutes of the last game of the last day of the season. Golazzo has some key questions. What will Inter bring to the Champions League? After Lazio's Collapsio, what will the fallout be in Rome? What of the familiar faces suddenly reappearing in Serie A? Parma, they've enjoyed more straight promotions than Trump's son-in-law and Carlo Ancelotti now in at Naples. All of that plus Hawley's top moments of the season in this season-ending Golazzo. Hi, everybody. So good to be back with you here and with James Horncastle. James, nice to see you. Nice to be here talking about an amazing season that came to an absolutely remarkable finish. Yeah, and I think this uh, thrilling game summed up a uh, thrilling season. So this was Lazio's clash with Inter on Sunday night, which is probably most people know, was essentially a a direct head-to-head playoff Mm. for fourth place and an entry to the the Champions League. It also was a match with a certain amount of history behind it, given what happened in a Lazio-Inter at the end of the season back in 2002. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look back at that game, Lazio... Um, stopped Inter from winning the title. Juventus, I think, won in Udine that day and overtook them. And you might say, oh, what, they didn't win the title, so what, they won loads afterwards. But the thing was, at that point, it had been always Juve and Inter had come close and they'd never quite done it. And then finally, on the final day of the season, they're ahead. They're in first place. They go to Lazio. Lazio have nothing to play for. Ronaldo's playing for the Nerazzurri. They're about to win the title at Massimoratti has basically spent his entire family's fortune <laughs> trying to get and instead, Lazio beat them 4-2 and Ronaldo leaves the field in tears and, and gets a plane to Madrid, basically. Yeah, and the most extraordinary thing about this is that Inter and Lazio fans are twinned. Yeah. And so the Curva Nord that day, which is where the Lazio Ultras sit, was basically opened up for Inter fans to basically come and stand together with us and we will celebrate, you know, come what may. But of course, when Inter collapsed... Um, it was one of the most devastating moments in their history. I think really came to define yeah. that era Inter as being La Pazza Inter. Yeah, because people talk about Spurs being Spursy, but in, in, in Italy, that's Inter. Yeah, and I think we kind of saw that again, um, but with the opposite outcome uh, on Sunday night. Right. So Sunday night, what, 10, 15 minutes to go? Lazio 2-1 up. Deservedly so. A game they only need to draw. Mm. They've had a bundle of chances. They are so much in command that Simone Inzaghi has taken off their number one goal threat. (laughs) And then what happens? (laughs) And then Lazio fall apart, James, because uh, another major storyline in this game is that Stefan de Vrij, the Lazio centre-back, well, guess where he's moving on a free transfer? Is it Inter? It is Inter. And he gives away a penalty. And Cardi puts it away to go head-to-head level with uh, Ciro Immobile in who's the Capitanieri title. He's just gone. And uh, if that wasn't bad enough, Senad Lulic, their captain, then gets sent off for the most silly fouls, miles away from his own goal, which gives into that other chance, 10v11, to maybe actually win this game and qualify for the Champions League. And guess what happens? That's what they do. This is all in the space of four minutes, by the way. Mm. And it's something that just this season seems to keep happening to Lazio. They get, I think 
Simone Inzaghi said we came within millimetres of everything of everything this season and they ended up with nothing. Niente. <laughs> exactly. Apart from the Italian Super Cup, James, oh. which, you know, is a trivial trophy, but means a lot to a club like Lazio who don't often uh, get into occasions where they can actually win something. They beat Juventus to that. But as you say, this, this season, which was pretty damn good from Lazio's point of view, could have been so much better had they not had those four minutes against RB Salzburg in the, the Europa blue, League. They blew, what, a three-goal aggregate lead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then the four minutes here, yeah. and it, f- it all fell apart in the same space of time. And uh, oh, you did feel sorry, uh, I thought, for Simone Inzaghi in particular, I think is otherwise would be, a, would and still probably should be, a contender for coach of the year. Right. All right. Well, we'll talk about what the impact might be on him and on the team, especially mm. the likes of uh, Milinkovic-Savage. But what about Inter then? They finally put this to bed after what's not been an impressive season. I think people had much high hopes for this Spalletti Inter, an Inter that had a lot of money spent on it as well. Uh, they do make it into the Champions League. Do you anticipate them reinforcing? Do you anticipate them bringing a real challenge to the Champions League? I think from Inter's point of view, it's just a joy to be back there. Remember, this is their first time in the Champions League for six years. They've had seven different managers in that time who've uh, failed, essentially where Spalletti ultimately succeeded. And uh, I take your point on that. This hasn't been the most entertaining season from Inter's point of view. Um, They were top in Mm. mid-December. They have had a good record in big games, which bodes well, let's say, for the Champions League. Um, And I suppose what Spalletti did differently to his predecessors was Inter always seemed to have this Groundhog Day over kind of the winter and spring months where they just completely collapse and they can't find a way out. And he somehow did and managed to get them just over the line. Mm. And we're talking Lazio and Inter finished head-to-head on points and the only difference was the better head-to-head record. That's the only reason why Inter are in the Champions League ahead Mm. um, of Lazio. So um, I think going into the summer... They've got a couple of big decisions to make, James, insofar as they um, took Cancelo on loan from Valencia, who's done pretty uh, damn well for them. Best right back I think they've had since Maicon. And Rafinha on loan from uh, from Barcelona. But those guys, to, to make uh, their transfers permanent, it's going to cost something upwards of 50, 60 million euros. Right. And they still have their financial fair play commitments to, uh, to meet, um, which the other team in Milan also do well yeah we'll talk about <laughs> that in a second but you wouldn't expect a, a kind of a, a particularly extravagant transfer campaign over the summer from me well having said that i think this allows suning um Inter's very wealthy Chinese owners to maybe accelerate the development plan that they've got. They've made mistakes in the past by signing the likes of Zhao Mario and uh, Gabriel Barbosa, Gabi Goal, yeah. who I think only scored one goal um, for Inter. Um, and they kind of blew it then. But maybe this brings some of the revenue where they can not go big, but certainly attract some decent names to Inter this summer. It'll be interesting to see. Meantime... I think plenty big names heading for the door at Lazio. Immobile, possibly, and Milinkovic, Savage. What, what do you think the reaction's going to be I think be there? the surprising thing is that Immobile has you know, come out in the last few days and basically said, yeah, I'm willing to listen to offers, even though Lazio have kind of helped him resurrect his career. Yeah. And have, uh, 
allowed him to be Capo Canigneri for what the second time in his career offers but they better not be from outside Serie A because he is <laughs> a very localised phenomenon exactly and uh, I think Milinkovic uh, regardless of whether they got into the Champions League or not he was always going to have huge offers um, but Lazio might be more inclined to take them now that mm. they can't get Champions League revenue Immobile's record uh, I'm stunned by this mm. 68 league matches at Lazio 53 yeah. goals which is just remarkable where where do you think SMS where do you think that that SMS might be heading well I think uh, PSG have got the message uh, about SMS um, I think um, United are the one that's talked about the most in England but I would say this is a guy who plays in the same position as Paul Pogba needs the team to be structured in exactly the same way as Paul oh, really? Pogba has asked that United be structured in. So, you know, play him on the left of a midfield three. And I also think at Lazio, I mean, this is a guy with quite an unusual set of skills um, in that I think he likes to have that license to do whatever he wants, which comes when you've got three centre-backs behind you. So you've got that little bit extra protection. You've got a wing-back who can tuck in when if you want to go forward. So I think it's um, it's hard to place where Milinkovic-Savic uh, would go, really, even though... He's the, probably one of the most in-demand players in yeah. Europe right now. Even though Gohi probably will. Yeah. Anyway, Lazio will have a European campaign next season. They're in the Europa League. Mm-hmm. The other teams going into the Europa League are Atalanta. Yeah, Fiorentina. And, <laughs> well, I was going to say, so this is the big question. So the other huge result on the weekend was Milan's 5-1 defeat of Fiorentina, who are perhaps understandably having a bit of reaction now to events that befell them earlier in the season. But huge result for Milan because it, it got them into the Europa League. It got them European football. Mm. Except European football doesn't want them. <laughs> it doesn't. And it looks like UEFA are going to throw the book at them. And a lot of people ask, you know, financial fair play, do UEFA actually enforce it? Well, it looks like they are going to enforce it against Milan, who um, put together this business plan back in November, um, which UEFA rejected. Um, which would allow them to essentially fast-track investment in the team, which is what they did anyway in spending $230 million, um on the, the squad. 230 million, what, euros? Yes. Uh, yeah. But who did they spend that on? Okay, so we're talking about Andre Silva. Yeah. Who I think scored two goals in Serie A this that's season. that's right. Kalinic, who maybe got six. Six. Um, we're looking did they at... buy anyone that was any good for them? Okay, so their best signing... Hakan Chalanolu, who I think did pretty well under um, Rino Gattuso. Once Gattuso came in, yeah. Yeah. Um, Poor old um, Andre Conti, who had a great season at Atalanta last year, suffered a bad knee injury as soon as he arrived and then relapsed. I'd say Frank Kessie's had an up-and-down season, Mm. really. Um, But aside from that, um, I, I don't think anyone else has had the impact that they hoped Right. Um, it's been the homegrown players, Bonaventura and well, Cutrone. Exactly. And Cutrone is completely overshadowed. Um, Andre Silva and Kalinic ended the season in City in double figures. Mm. And this is a guy, I remember, who um, Cutrone, um, who ended up being relegated on the final day, had hoped to sign on loan going into this season. And it was only um, because Cutrone did so well in pre-season friendlies against the likes of Bayern Munich that they ended up keeping him in mm. those Europa League preliminaries. But this is bad news uh, for Milan. So do you think this is actually going to happen? 
Uh, yeah, I think it looks like it. Because so Fiorentina will take their place in the Europa League? Well, what La Repubblica reported on, on Monday, which is one of the Rome-based nationals, was that um, the uh, Fijici, which is the Italian Football Federation, had got in touch with not only Fiorentina, but Sampdoria and Torino to say, get your papers in order, because if Milan are thrown out of Europe and mm. given this ban, one of you guys will have to step in. And we all know that in Italian football, not everyone's house is in order. So that's why they've not only notified Fiorentina, Fiorentina, but they've notified Samp and Torino because right. you know maybe Fiorentina can't meet those requirements. I suspect they will be able to. Yeah, I mean we've seen this happen before. Parma, for example, yeah, before they went bankrupt, uh, did qualify for the Europa League but, but weren't able to. This begs the question, James: Is that when UEFA um, basically told Parma, "Yeah, you can't play in our competition," and all kind of alarm bells started ringing? Why hadn't the Italian Football Federation, why hadn't the league already flagged that up? And that, again, is the question with Milan, is that it's UEFA who are saying, mm, there are too many irregularities here for our liking. So, you know, what do we expect from Milan? You know, are they allowed to be, are they going to be allowed to register in the championship last year? We don't know. We'll have to see. Well, one, one final question on this before we, we take a quick pause. The financing of, of Milan is, is a pretty murky business, but the money essentially wasn't there in the first place and it's now that a lot of the debt's been taken on by a hedge fund called Elliott. Now, there are continually reports of other investors, of some very pretty big name American investors potentially being ushered in by Elliott to, to take over. Do you think this is going to bring that day a bit closer? What, what do you think the impact is, is going to be? Because it doesn't look sustainable what's going on. No, I mean, the chief executive, Marco Fasone, came out after this decision uh, was announced by UEFA and, and said that he felt this was very damaging to Milan's image and it was going to actually make it more difficult for them to uh, attract investment and get um, that $330 million, uh, refinanced. Um, because I think the only offers on the table at the moment, or up until now, have been um, at a high interest rate than they've had when they, that they already have with Elliot. Mm. Um, but he said that um, that Elliot basically guarantee everything, and that if things go wrong, they will step in. So that he doesn't really see what UEFA's case is. But I think you can really see that UEFA. I think UEFA's case is that they were supposed to spend thirty million in the summer, but they spent, as you say, over two hundred. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think. Mm. The, the credibility of the project there has always been in doubt. Mm. You know, basically when this takeover was first announced, the fact that um, uh, Yong Hong Lee kept missing deadlines to yeah. complete it and then needed to get into uh, get this loan from Elliot in order to complete it, I think um, yeah, that was already the cause of some scepticism. And, and just a little reminder that the Procura di Milano do have an ongoing investigation into into basically the sale of Milan uh, mm. for money laundering. So there's that. Good. Right. Very, very shortly, we'll be saying welcome back, Carlo, as we address some of the other massive news that's happened over the last couple of days. <laughs> other verdicts from this weekend. Crotone down. Waterzenga oh. out. Verona in tears. Also, in tears. Says, I died. Io, io sono morto. I'm dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Verona... They're down. Benevento, yeah, we knew about them. They'll feature later on, though, James, when you do your moments of the season, I warrant. Mm, yeah. They will indeed. Right. And big news in Naples, oh. where just when everyone was waiting to hear what Sarri was going to announce about his future, will he go to Chelsea? What's going on there? De Laurentiis just gets tired of the whole thing, sends a text saying, yeah, thanks, Sarri. I've just signed Ancelotti, mm. Carlo Ancelotti. James, this is huge. 
Ah, oh, this is huge, but it's box office because Carlo Ancelotti is arguably one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name in Italian coaching. Yeah. And he's coming back to Italy. Um, and I don't think anyone really expected him to turn up in Naples. No. Uh, maybe go back to Milan or one day get his dream to coach Roma. Mm. Um, and uh, apparently Marito Sarri was uh, watching um, Sky Sports News in Italy last night and saw that the guy who usually basically asks him questions after a game was outside De Laurentiis' offices in Rome, reporting that Carlo Ancelotti and his wife were in those offices discussing about replacing Maurizio Sarri. Did not go down well, apparently, with Maurizio Sarri. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. So my question at this point is, and I'm, I'm glad that Rafa's not here so we can have a proper discussion about <laughs> Ancelotti. But no, my question about, about Carlo is, I'm delighted to see him back. Mm. Everywhere he goes, he... Makes big signings. Yes. He doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't make big signings. Mm. Napoli don't make big signings. No, they don't. So what? So which? Something's got to give there. Well, they do make big signings. Remember Gonzalo Higuain joined yeah, them. Yeah, but that's when they'd sold uh, Cavani, Cavani to PSG. Yes, and I think there is an expectation that this team will be broken up. Right. The the problem I think that they have is that uh, well, the who, buyout. Who are going to sell for a lot of money? Well, that's the thing because the buyout clauses in a lot of these players' contracts are very low. So um, let's play um, the hypothetical up. here right. and say Marito Sadi pitches up at either Zenit St. Petersburg or Chelsea. Um, then, you know, he can tell either one of those that, oh, by the way, Dries Mertens has a buyout clause of 28 million in his contract. Kayahon, 23, I think. Um, Gulam, 38. Mm. Yeah, these are all quite achievable sales or purchases for um for for clubs where Sadi might pitch up which might bring in some money but it was it would essentially gut the team it would gut the team but i think as when benitez replaced Walter Mazzari, he has a certain pulling power hmm. um so benitez was able to bring the likes of higuain Callejon and Albiol, guys who played for Real Madrid, to come and play in naples and stay there hmm. pepe reina as you mentioned um and maybe Carlo could do the same. There's uh, there's been some speculation at the moment about um, Chelsea um, and Sadi and David Luiz being the sort of make weight in all of this deal. Which, really, you know, um, be surprising. It's interesting you mentioned that the whole notion of Carlo's you know personal charm. Arturo Vidal is is one player who's been linked with with, with Napoli since. Yeah. The- well, this is one of the stories that I completely was taken aback by. Uh, apparently, Marek Hamsik, the captain of the club, who played what I think is 500th game for Napoli at the weekend, um, is with Slovakia on the international duty at the moment, and came out and said, well, gave a press conference, which it was almost like he was saying goodbye to Napoli. Yeah. Which is this is the guy who is he's Slovakian, but he's Napoli through and through. Mm. Really, he's been with them for more than a decade, and if he were to go, that Has would be a real big now? surprise. Yeah, since 2006-7. Right. Anyway, it's it's really exciting news. Yeah. Love Sarri. Mm. I hope he goes... I mean, it would be great if he stayed in Serie A, but I, I wish him the best wherever. But you but have I'm, to, like, say chapeau to De Laurentiis for... Yeah. I mean, this is some coup de theatre, because the thing is, Sarri is so loved in Naples and is so respected around Europe now. You know, think of Pep Guardiola saying, wow, his teams play great football. Um, it would be really hard to get over him leaving, but if the next guy's Carlo, well, yeah. that, that certainly helps. Yeah. And when they draw Bayern in the Champions League, that's going to be really interesting. <laughs> okay. Also in the Champions League, of course, next season are, of course, are Roma mm-hmm. and Juventus. Uh, but Roma, their last few campaigns have been a bit compromised by the fact they keep selling off a really top player or, or two. This time around, Di Francesco said, yes, we've got to consolidate this time. Are they finally in a position 
Palotta's Roma project where they can start to build something? They say that they don't have to make any um, tactical sales this summer, like they did last year with, say, Mohamed Salah and Rudiger. So that is, a, that is a big positive because, remember, they made, I think, in excess of 90 million euros from their Champions League run, reaching the semifinals for the first time in 34 years. That attracted a shirt sponsor for the first time in, what, five or six years in Qatar Airways who are going to spend, I don't know, in excess of 30 million on, on, on that. I think they've got a back sponsor as well so money money's coming in um, so that obviously helps them uh, keep their best players and uh, there's obviously a lot of uh, rumours about Alisson a lot of interest in him because I think some people would actually make him the player of the season in Serie A this season um, Would you make him player of the season? I would put him up there with Milinkovic Right um, um, Yeah he's been pretty extraordinary I think he's one of the players we've talked about most which uh, would qualify him in that um, and um, but Monchi said the other day that um, Alisson will only go if I can basically unretire myself and play in goal again because Monchi was a goalkeeper. Can he do so that? he said, <laughs> "I'd like to see it," um, but um, I think he was insinuating that it's not going to happen. Right. Okay. Well, that's a relief for Roma fans, mm. then, eh? Um, next season, among the Serie opponents they'll be facing are the Jello Blue. This is extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, we did a special on Palmer mm. because their rise and then fall was spectacular. So what do they do? They go bankrupt and get three straight promotions to go straight back into Serie A. Yeah, which no one has ever done before. Um, basically got into Serie A at the earliest possible opportunity. It's actually less than three years since uh, Palmer were relegated, declared bankrupt and sent to the fourth division. Less than three years. And they haven't had the help, let's say, that Fiorentina had. Right. When they basically changed the law, changed the... And, and, and Napoli as well, back in, in, in the day. Yeah, so, um, and great to see Alessandro Lucarelli, the captain of Parma, uh, who um, was there when they, in that season, when they got relegated, stand by the team. Mm. Um, even though, you know, they didn't have hot water to shower in because they weren't paying the bills. The bailiffs came in and basically took... The, the players the, had to do their own washing. The players they? had to do their own washing. They didn't have any benches to sit on yeah. in, the, in the dressing room because the bailiffs had taken them. They had to drive their own way to, um, to away games because they couldn't even afford a bus. And they're back. It's, a, it's just incredible. But romantic as it is... Mm. There is such a thing as going too far, too fast. I'm delighted they've come up. But as you say, is there the backing now? So making that leap to Serie A so quickly, mm. you'd think for, it to, for them to make a real go of it, they're going to need substantial investments over the summer. How are, the, are they placed now in terms of a club behind them? Okay, so when they were relegated to the fourth division, what happened when they essentially restarted? Um, they got a group of local businessmen together, like uh, Badilla, the, the pasta makers. Um, and also, um, there was this um, company called Tifosi, which Gianluca Viali is involved in, which basically helps um, uh, fan ownership come into effect. So they had this great kind of mix going on. They brought in Nevio Scala as the president, who was the coach uh, when they won the UEFA Cup and the Cup Winners Cup back in the 90s. Apolloni was the manager. But then last year they got... Um, oh, there's Chinese money, isn't they there? They got Chinese money. Chinese money. Yeah. Uh, not the kind of Chinese money that Milan have. Uh, oh, yeah, actual money money. But, <laughs> but these guys are, are, are the same 
a company that bought uh, Granada from the Granada from the Pozzos right. um, in Spain, um, and they seem to have their, their, their sort of uh, head on their shoulders insofar as they've got Hernan Crespo as sort of director, club ambassador. Um, they were very bullish last summer in basically how they assembled this team and also in January mm. when they brought in um, Cicciretti um, who'd helped get Benevento um, promoted and scored the second goal in uh, in Spezia on uh, what last Friday night um, but they have to make this decision as you kind of say is that this team there are some elements of it have come all the way um, uh, through the fourth division to the first division with them, there are some who are guys who just get uh, uh, who get promoted all the time. Um, uh, I think there was one guy in the team who's been promoted six times now, and it's whether they rip it up and start again and basically put together a team which is steady, our competitive. But right. I don't think we can expect them to be throwing tansy money around. Okay. Yeah. Um, will they be signing Gigi Buffon? Wouldn't that be romantic? <laughs> that would be romantic. And he was uh, he was confronted with this uh, hypothesis uh, during his goodbye press conference. Right. And he said, yeah, wouldn't that be the stuff dreams are made of? Um, it's not going to happen. Which is a shame yeah. because uh, I think Gigi is still chasing the Champions League. Um, and that is why so why it do you think be you're joining PSG PSGG yeah exactly <laughs> so um, PSGG very nice yeah yeah okay alright then well we'll see what happens over the next few mm. months but before we wrap up let's have a another little look back after this at the past nine months of football some of the most memorable moments of what was an unbelievably dramatic campionato James, what a season! We, mm. we, we had a title race. Yeah, how many leagues can say that? We had a decent. We had another decent Champions League run, and this time not from Juventus. Surprisingly, oh, yeah, I mean, as for Juventus, Allegri won his fourth straight league and cup double, <laughs> which is. But for a while, it was in doubt. Oh, and he did say this is the hardest of them all. Why? Uh, oh, because of Napoli. Because of Napoli. Napoli became the first team not to win the league after breaking the ninety-point barrier, which uh, I think uh, mm. pretty impressive given. This league was in jeopardy until the end of April. Um, and I, I think a lot of people were quick to declare that um, Inter-Lazio game the game of the season. Um, but I would counter that and say that Derby d'Italia between Inter and Juventus mm. at the end of April where Juventus took the lead. They were um, a man up in 11v10 when Vecino, who would eventually actually get into qualified for the Champions League with that third goal, got sent off. I've forgotten that. Um, yeah. yeah. And then Inter with 10 men are actually 2-1 up with three minutes to go. Yeah. And somehow Juventus uh, managed to win that game and uh, Napoli were watching it in their hotel in Florence and Marito Sally would say, we lost the title in a Florence hotel. There you go. Okay, well, that's obviously not one of his top memories of the season, but what would yours be? Can I throw out mine? The Romontada. James Pilotta throwing himself in the fountain in Piazza del Popolo. 4-1 down (laughs) against Barcelona. And and as we said at the time, if Roma had been 4-1 up against Barcelona going into the second leg, Barca still would have been the favourites. But it was Roma who were 
who were behind and they, they beat the three. It was extraordinary. We, again, we did a Galadza special on it. Yeah, but... Go back and listen to it because that was memorable to do as well as to watch. Yeah. 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 Milan had a such a weird season. Starting off with Vincenzo Montella and then Gattuso came in mm-hmm. and his approach seemed to be summed up by the fact that they play Benevento, who made history by losing their first 14 games. And, of course, the first team to concede a point to them were Milan and in incredible circumstances. Calcio di punizione. C'è anche Brignoli dentro in area di rigore. Battuta attesa. Brignoli! Clamoroso Brignoli! Ha pareggiato il Benevento col gol del suo portiere! Brignoli come Rampulla e come Taibi! E 2-2 al Vigorito! Pazzesco! Yeah, I mean, in uh, what, stoppage time? Yeah. And uh, Alberto Brignoli, the, the goalkeeper of Benevento, um, had uh, thought better of going up for, I think, a previous corner. And uh, the coaching staff were saying, uh, Su, vai su, go up, go up. So he went up and then uh, the ball comes in. And uh, he said, all I did was close my eyes and dive. It's a brilliant diving header. It's a brilliant diving header. Like a delfino, he said, like a dolphin. <laughs> and, like uh, dolphins, like dolphins can yeah. dive. Yeah. <laughs> and he opened his eyes and there was delirium what, around the yeah. uh, Vigorito. I mean, they went down in the end anyway. But still, what an unbelievable what an unbelievable memory. And then Gattuso goes on this incredible run and then they meet Arsenal, all falls apart and... <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Uh, Buffon says goodbye. We still don't know what's going to happen. To him, we say hello to VAR. What would your what would your summary be of the first season of VAR in Italy? Positive, negative? Uh, well, I think Simone Inzaghi is not a fan. Would probably still, uh, even though they lost into in that final game, would probably blame VAR for not actually reaching the uh, the Champions League. Some of the decisions that went against his side, even with video assistant referees. But I would say that um, to begin with, um, uh, the referees. Um, were maybe a little bit oversensitive and used it too much. Then they didn't use it at all. And then they kind of found a balance. Um, and so I think overall it was quite positive. But I think the main takeaway from VAR in Italy this season is that it did not remove the culture of suspicion one iota. In fact, exactly. It seemed to add a new layer huh. to uh, conspiracy and controversy. Fine. One thing we did see which was really positive this year was, again, a lot of young players, players mm. at ages that you just wouldn't have thought possible not so long ago, breaking into City Air teams. And um, I know one of your favourite moments, I think, was the extraordinary brace from Pietro Pellegri in uh, Genoa's well, ultimately 3-2 defeat against against Lazio. Zucanovic, suggerimento, Pellegri, ed è il gol del pareggio, il gol del pareggio, ancora Pietro Pellegri, ancora Pellegri, la doppietta del sedicenne. And his dancing tears, and, and, why, and why is it so special? Well, I think exactly that, because uh, his dad is the team manager at Genoa, and uh, had always dreamt of seeing this kid, um, who apparently was a very good like water polo player, um, I was going to say when he was a boy, he's still a boy. So he scored that brace. <laughs> He'd been the youngest, joint youngest ever player yeah. to take to the field in the top flight at 15 the previous season. And he scored in Totti's final game. Ah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, was it that day? or I think certainly the day when he made his debut, I think just before Christmas, when we, we're going back to, what, 2016 now, he um, matched Amadeo Amadeus. Uh, record as being the youngest player ever to make their debut in Serie A. Right. And, uh, and yeah, 
reduced his dad to tears uh, with 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 this performance uh, against Lazio, and uh, you know has been the subject of a lot of interest for for quite a long time. Went to play Manchester in a, a youth tournament, and United basically um, were so impressed by him. They said, "We'll fly your dad and you back over, and you can watch a game. We want you to play for us." He said, "No." He's Genoa through and through. But in January, he joined Monaco. He uh, chose to basically um, refuse Juventus's offer, mm. believed he could get more game time at Monaco. Had a few injuries, but he's actually started to play towards oh, the end he? of the season. I was yeah. going to ask because I've not heard much. With again, him. a couple of these like super 16, 17 year olds that Monaco have got, which bodes quite well for next season, I think, for them. Mm. But yeah, um, Italy actually, I think at the weekend, as we record, they're under 17s, which he is eligible to play for but I think it would have been illegal had he played because he's just so good at that level they lost on penalties to Holland in the final of the European Championship but again that just goes to show that some good players seem to be coming through Moise Kane um, had a great game against Fiorentina for Verona I think he had eight touches scored twice (laughs) Um, and then Cutrone who came out of nowhere so um, I think yeah a few um, few really interesting players for the new Italy manager, Roberto Mancini, to, right. to get to grips with. So that's the other exciting bit of news. Roberto Mancini, they have announced Mancini. Mm. And he has announced the return of uh, Mario Balotelli. Yeah, and I think uh, about time too, as well. Um, and maybe I think one of the things that uh, uh, motivated him is not only his own relationship with uh, Balotelli. He gave Balotelli his debut when he was at Inter and kind of sees himself in Balotelli as this kind of enfant terrible um, um, but thought that maybe the old guard is moving on. You know, mm. Buffon, I think, has uh, put a few noses out of joint at the Italian Football Federation by saying he doesn't want to play this friendly between Italy and Holland in Turin, which was supposed to be a big, another goodbye game for Gigi. Um, with you know, we'll give you a trophy, some flowers, put on a choreography for you. He's basically said no to that. Um, but um, yeah, Ballo is back. And um, I think there's, this was the big frustrating thing with Giampiero Ventura, Mancini's predecessor, is that it's actually a better squad of players than Conte had when he reached the quarterfinals of the European Championships right. a couple of years ago. That would be the big frustration, that and, and not actually making it to, to the World that, Cup yeah, for the yeah. first time yeah. ever. And that's well one of the things that really marks this campaign. Although it's been very positive from a club level, mm. I think Roma's performance, although their, their meltdown at Anfield is something that took a lot of the shine off of what they'd achieved against Barcelona. But what happened with the national side, in, and kind of in slow motion, you could see it happening mm. from that first draw against Spain. You could just, it was just, that check was in the mail. Well, particularly the, how they were taken apart by Spain at the Bernabeu in, what was it, last September? Mm. And the players lost all confidence, I think, in Ventura that night. Um, remember, he was playing that suicidal 4 2 4, and they were just like, why? I think one of the moments of the season for yeah. me is Daniele De Rossi on the bench Sorry. in Sweden. <laughs> saying, why do you want me to come on? We need to win this game. There's a guy called Lorenzo Insigne sat next to me. Put him on. Yeah. And that, questo e matto. <laughs> questo e matto. In the immortal words of Roberto Baggio, yeah. <laughs> wow. No World Cup. And you know, that I, I think probably for most of us, that's not still not sunk in and won't. No. Until, until next week. <laughs> until <laughs> Whenever the thing starts. Yeah. What World Cup. Yeah. Sadly, one of the moments of the season is the tragic death. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I, well, let's finish off on, on that then because nothing was more important and nothing was more unexpected 
nothing was more bewildering this this season than than the sudden passing of the Fiorentina captain, a team up in Udine getting ready for a, an away game, meeting at, at breakfast on Sunday morning, ready for the match, and the captain doesn't come down, and no doubt there were some jokes. Somebody goes up to see the kit man, I think, no, yeah. massage, uh, and, uh, and and finds him just having passed away in his sleep. Mm. It was extraordinary how long they held it together. They went on an incredible winning run. Mm. Six games in a row, which matched, I think, the record um, the club had, had set back in 1959-60. And um, some of the players who um, hadn't really featured up until that point but were great friends of David story, like uh, Ricardo Saponada, all of a sudden breaking into the team, performing really well. And um, I would never really forget the... Um, the first game back at the Artemio Franchi mm. after um, Astori's death, um, which was played in silence. And um, Astori uh, wore the number 13 shirt. He was the captain of the team, um, centre-back, and it was the guy who actually replaced him, Victor Hugo, who scored the only goal of that game at 1,300 hours. Um, huh. And his... Uh, shirt number 31, the kind of reverse of 13. Yeah. Things that superstitious Italians really kind of look, look, look for. And then his celebration after that, if you can call it a celebration, was to go over to the sideline. And one of the staff, I think, held a, a story shirt and he gave a captain salute, which became their which became their kind of way of marking goals and wins for the rest of the season. And mm. I think Fiorentina uh, put out quite a few times on social after wins videos of the dressing room where they, they sing the chant that the, the, the Fiorentina supporters sing, which is um, about Davide Astori. Um, so it brought a very young, very young, inconsistent team together and made them kind of grow up hmm. in a hurry. And I think the way Fiorentina have um, handled this um, is uh, exemplary really they renamed the training ground after a story and just 10 days ago they announced um, that they have uh, set up a trust um, for a story's daughter um, to provide for her in the future um, which you know I think is a is a noble gesture mm. spot on very good all right well it won't be long before mm. we're back not talking about Italian footballers <laughs> with the World Cup, because, you know. But when the uh, we'll have much to delight us in this World Cup. Before that, I'll be uh, making a, a guest appearance on Totally Football Show the, yeah. this coming Monday. So, uh, hey, do join us for that. And, uh, James, I believe you're there mm -hmm. as well. I'm That's presenting. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh, you are? Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, many thanks for, uh, for being here today. And listeners, thank you and producer Ben. Uh, we'll be hopefully joining you again very soon. Until then, from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com.
That was pretty good, wasn't it? Not nearly enough football league, though. Why don't you give the Totally Football League show a try? You'll find us on Audio Boom, iTunes, all the other places you get your podcasts.